Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, it's okay. You're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak. That's a freak with two E's, which is a long explanation. Anyway, I love the NFL. I watch every game every week. I love drafting, trading, scouting, and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you, so let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in store today on episode number 64. Uh, We've had a fantasy explosion in week number five. We've moved on to week number six and a little bit more normal scoring. So it's going to be kind of a week number six in review. So here's some of my overall impressions after watching all of the games, along with some comments on the Dynasty and the NFL transactions that were made this week. We always start with my first top five observations overall from last week. Here's number one. Los Angeles teams are killing player values. Uh, Man, last week was an embarrassing week for both the Chargers and the Rams. I'm afraid it's going to be a trend, actually, with these guys. Uh, Both teams have lost offensive linemen, which have left their uh, running games anemic and their quarterbacks under pressure. Rivers has no mobility, and he's uh, letting passes rip before players even break on their routes. He looked like an old man throwing the ball around Sunday night. He was savvy enough to make it work, in garbage time at least, uh, with Hunter Henry kind of build him out. But I don't think this is likely to continue. Uh, Eckler's cooled down after his ridiculously hot start now that the line is banged up and they've lost some players and Melvin Gordon has returned. And Keenan Allen, one of my most owned players that I love, has really felt the brunt of it. He's just not been um, performing. I think he's still going to have some good games ahead. Maybe it have to be in garbage time. But only when they're playing a poor defense or at least a defense that has a really poor defensive line. Uh, This week, for instance, against the the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Defense should be a rough one for the Chargers. The same can be said for the Rams, uh, who made a trade even this week to try to improve their offensive line. The ever-reliable fantasy producers like Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods have been anything but reliable. Cooper Cup, of course, has been a really consistent player. In fact, he's been incredible. Ranked number two this year because he gets all the slot passes when Goff has to get rid of the ball when he's under pressure. And Gurley, of course, his injury has made the backfield inconsistent and a mess. All the faith that we had in Coach McVay and his um, magic to uh, magic touch and calling the offensive plays, there seems to be something missing. I think there's room to improve, but we've not seen it so far, and there's been enough of a, a pattern here to say so. Now, Atlanta's going to or uh, the Rams are going to play Atlanta, this awful defense in Atlanta this week. And so if they can't score fantasy points this week, it may be time just to give up on them altogether. The Los Angeles teams are killing player values. Second thing I noticed observation for this week is that there's hope for some disappointing wide receivers. Two players in particular that I've had consistently ranked higher than most other analysts are Robbie Anderson and Dante Pettis. As a result, I've had them on many of my teams, which has stunk to start this year, right? Pettis started out the year in the doghouse with Coach Sanahan, but he slowly earned his back his trust. This last week, he was finally the most targeted wide receiver on the team, and he played the highest number of snaps of all the other receivers that are mixed in there in San Francisco. He appears to regain uh, uh, to have regained San, uh, Shanahan's trust, and he should begin to play like the Pettis that I loved on film uh, when I was watching him uh, before the rookie drafts even. Robbie Anderson, on the other hand, he started a very poor year, not because of uh, being in the doghouse with the coaches. Coaches raved about him in the preseason. 
but Sam Darnold was not playing due to his bout with mono. So Sam comes back last week, and Anderson does what Anderson does. He runs by everyone and catches a long touchdown pass, 92 yards in this case. I still think that uh, Crowder's going to be the more targeted um, receiver there in New York, but I think Anderson has the higher floor um, just because, or Crowder's going to have the higher floor, but Anderson's going to have the higher ceiling just because he's so good at catching those touchdowns at long touchdown passes, like 92 yards like he did. Uh, these two are on the rise. I'm so glad that I have them on my teams. It stinks that I've had to wait this long for them to play. Not quite willing to put them in the lineup, especially Anderson. They play New England this week. And I still want to see a little bit more from Pettis before I would start him. But I see that they're probably going to be in my starting lineups within the next week or two before the def- before the end of the season, especially Anderson. The uh, Jets have had a pretty brutal schedule to start the year. And after this next Monday night against New England, their schedule is going to lighten up quite a bit. And so I like both of those guys and see they're both on the rise. Third thing that I noticed about this uh, year Uh, this last week, uh, rather, is that the 2015 quarterback class is in trouble. Ten quarterbacks were drafted in the 2015 draft, and now four years later, uh, only one of them has a starting job. So Mariota, of course, the number two pick in the 2015 draft, was finally benched last week, and the coaches made him a permanent, made it a permanent decision this week when they decided to go with Ryan Tannehill as a new starting quarterback there in Tennessee. I believe that he will play better than Mariota. I'm excited to see what this does for the value of uh, Corey Davis, actually one that I've actually lost hope in, the value of A.J. Brown, who actually was my number one ranked rookie wide receiver, who I still believe in. Excited to see what this means for him. And I guess uh, on this slightly for what it means for Andrew Humphreys, who uh, definitely Tannehill had eyes for when he came in at the end of the game last week. So I still think it's going to be a run-first offense in Tennessee, but Tannehill should make these wide receivers a little bit more relevant. On the other hand, Jameis Winston is a last-standing starting quarterback from the 2015 class. He was, of course, drafted number one just ahead of Mariota. And I think he's last-standing likely just because there's not a competent backup for him in Tampa. Winston managed to be a good fantasy quarterback most of the time just based on sheer volume and depth of, of, of his passes. It helps to have uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, too, that's for sure. But it's pathetic. he's a pathetic NFL quarterback uh, who causes his real team to lose more than not. I expect uh, much of the same the rest of this year. He'll help our fantasy teams as he will help his targets, but he'll hurt his NFL team. I don't know if Winston's going to be starting next year. Last thing that I learned uh, overall was that several defenses are solidifying themselves as difference makers. There are four defenses that are quickly becoming uh, difference-making type of fantasy, difference-making type of players for our fantasy teams. The Patriots, of course, are single-handedly winning games for people, scoring an average of 27.8 points per game. Of course, all these defenses settings depend on your league settings. Are those range uh, widely um, in all of our leagues? They have the the Patriots have the same number of interceptions, 14 as they have the most points scored against them this season, 14. It's ridiculous. That to go along with their five touchdowns and their 25 sacks. It's crazy how New England is actually carrying teams. If you have New England in your league, you know that that team is likely in the top two or three just because they have the Pats defense. But there's another one, though, in the surprising San Francisco 49ers. Uh, they're the next best defense, scoring 19.8 points per game. No one saw this coming. 
even though they made some off-season moves to better their defense, it really seems like third-year defensive coordinator Robert Sila uh, uh, has been the talk of town lately because of how this defense is playing. Uh, they've held the last three teams that they've played to under 250 yards of total offense, including limiting the Rams last week to 157 yards total last week. It's crazy how San Francisco is playing. He, they were definitely on the waiver wire, so good for you if you picked them up uh, to start this the, at the start of this year. Then there's Carolina and Chicago. They're definitely holding their own two, scoring 17 and 15.8 points per game, respectively. Uh, teams are very happy to have these defenses making a difference on their rosters. And on the opposite side, uh, they make their owners who play them tilt if you're playing against them. I played against Carolina last week, and they scored 32 points against me. It's just ridiculous. Thankfully, I still won the game. So, But you are on tilt if you're playing against these guys. It was very frustrating to get beat by defense. And the fifth thing that I learned overall from this week is that we can make sense of some of the shared backfields now that we have. Uh, there are a few shared backfields. Really, a lot of teams are doing the shared backfields. But there's some clarity kind of in the roles that different backs have now. Uh, Denver's a 50-50 split, it seems like, between Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. But their roles are becoming more and more clear, but not in the way that you suspect, uh, based on their size. Freeman has become the best pass catcher and best pass protector, while Lindsey, uh, even though he's smaller, he's become the between-the-tackles guy and they're the goal line back. Royce Freeman has yet to score a touchdown and has 21 receptions. Uh, that is, uh, until last night, <laughs> I wrote this article and uh, was about to publish this podcast just at halftime of the game, so Freeman has scored on Thursday night. Uh, where Lindsey um, has four touchdowns and 18 more carries than Freeman. So he's actually getting more carries, but Freeman's getting more involved in the passing game. In Philadelphia, Jordan Howard is definitely the first and second down back because he has 63% of the snaps, um, and he gets all the goal line touches with four touchdowns, while Miles Sanders has become really the passing downs back. He's in 29% of the snaps overall. And Sanders has had the most air yards of any running back in the NFL so far. So they are targeting him and targeting him downfield. He finally scored on a long, long uh, downfield pass last week. And then in Houston, similarly, Carlos Hyde is the first and second downs back, 61% of the snaps in the goal line back with three touchdowns, where Duke Johnson is the third down back with 37% of the snaps, who finally scored, but the way that he scored was not on a run, but on a reception uh, last week. So it's good to know that these backfields are starting to become more predictable, uh, making start-set questions easier to answer based on their roles and the strategies of their defenses. I know I started Royce Freeman last night for the first time in one of my leagues. Uh, happy that he scored a touchdown, even though he didn't do very well. And then um, I also know that I started Carlos Hyde in a couple of my leagues this last week, and it was great to see him, knowing that his role is very secure. He's in my lineup again uh, this coming week. And so we know what these roles are between these split backfields. Next, we're going to move on to week six injury impact, things that happen in week six. Um, in light of this week, as far as injuries go, thankfully it was kind of a, a light week as far as injuries go, but, but there were a few significant ones. So let's talk about those. The first I will mention is Will Disley. So Disley uh, ruptured his Achilles on Sunday, ending uh, his year early for the second year in a row after starting each of the last two years with a bang. Uh, he was really starting to establish himself as a top 12 tight end, too. So this was devastating to his dynasty value. Uh, Achilles injuries are among the most difficult to come back from. But worse yet are patellar tendon uh, uh, surgeries, which he suffered last year and came back just fine and was doing awesome those first five games of this this year. I think in this case that I would add him to my IR spot if I had one. 
Um, I'd even hold him till next year in leagues where I didn't have an IR spot. I think he's worth a hold. He's worth holding on to, unless perhaps you have like one of the top 10 tight ends already on your team. Um, I saw him dropped in one of my leagues, and I'm considering uh, picking him up this next week uh, for myself. Uh, my league where I do have him, I'm keeping him, and uh, that league has an IR spot, so I could hold him definitely through the season. I think for Russell Wilson, his immediate value this year doesn't really take a dip because he's just so good at making everybody good and finding a way to work with whoever he has. Um, you saw that last week, even when, when he went down, all of a sudden, Jerron Brown becomes a factor, right? So I don't think this hurts Russell, Russell Wilson or any of the other players on the um, on the team. There is uh, Luke Wilson, who might get a few more targets because of this, but I wouldn't be rushing to the waiver wire uh, to pick him up for sure. Second injury that uh, mentioned is Amari Cooper. Uh, Amari Cooper bruised his quad early in the game Sunday, and it appears that he'll miss several weeks with this injury. I believe this will hurt the Dallas passing game quite a bit in the short term and force them to focus on getting Zeke more touches on the ground and in the air. You saw that where he started getting uh, targeted a little bit more in the passing game uh, last week. In the long term, I think um, it gives Dak a little bit more time to improve his connection with Michael Gallup, which has already been awesome this year, way stronger than anticipated. Uh, Gallup's short and long-term, long-term value is going to rise because of this. He's definitely going to become the number one target for the next couple weeks, uh, should be rostered. And I think his fantasy value and definitely his dynasty value will grow quite a bit, um, even though in the short term it's going to hurt Dak. Long term, doesn't hurt Cooper, but stinks to miss him for a couple weeks. Next injury to mention is Jeff Swain. Uh, another tight end goes down in Jacksonville this week after James Asanasi, uh, Shaughnessy did last week. Swain uh, took a pretty, pretty brutal-looking concussion hit in the game last night or last week. Um, Last week, I actually recommended when O'Shaughnessy went down, I recommended targeting Josh Oliver off the waiver wire instead of Swain. So if you did that, you may have uh, done well. But if you didn't, you may have missed your window because everyone's going to be looking for him this week. Swain's absence shouldn't affect the value of any of the Jacksonville players, I don't think. Josh Gordon is the fourth and final player we'll talk about injury-wise. He hurt his knee in the the middle of the game last week. Um, He is... uh, more than normal amount of time to recover since he did play on Thursday night. The Patriots don't play until Monday, but reports are right now that he's not going to play. That seems to be lingering for a bit. So um, I think that uh, this does affect the value of Jacoby Myers. Like I mentioned last week when Philip uh, when uh, Philip Dorsett went down as well. So Jacoby Myers is going to get another chance to prove himself and earn a future role with the team. But that said, we got news this week that Nikhil Harry has been uh, released from the IR designation and is back on the practice field, which also means that Myers' window to play is closing and closing quickly. Uh, Edelman and Brady are unaffected, I think, by Gordon's injury. I think their value remains steady. Myers uh, will get a little short window to see if he can uh, prove himself with all these injuries there in New England and the wide receivers. Next, we move on to some waiver wire moves. Here we're talking about week six in review. I love to look at my waiver wire moves and tell you the players that I was interested in and tried to pick up um, during this last waiver period of this week. As a reminder, I play in dynasty leagues that are 27 to 30 man rosters. So uh, that, that's something to keep in consideration when I mention these players. Uh, this is only in deep leagues, what I consider to be true dynasty leagues. And then also, this was actually a pretty bad week. Now, there were a lot of leagues where I just did not make any claims at all because it was a pretty bad week on the waiver wire. You'll see that all I have listed here are a bunch of tight ends and some defenses. So that's all I was interested in this week. Uh, first was Darren Fells. 
Um, it appears that after many years, Houston has found a fantasy-relevant tight end finally, or perhaps two, since Jordan Aikens also played well with Darren Fells. While he and Aikens, while Fells and Aikens um, have about the same amount of fantasy points up to this season, uh, 41 for Fells, 38 for Aikens, uh, touchdowns are similar, three for Fells, two for Aikens, yards are similar, uh, 159 for Fells and 196 for Aikens, so he beats him in that category. Targets are similar too, 20 for Fells, 18 for Aikens. Uh, they're pretty different in two important ways, which is why I have Fells as my number one waiver wire pickup this week, and Aikens actually number three. You'll hear about that in a minute. Uh, the difference is really in their size and their snap counts. Uh, Fells is uh, enormous. He's 6'7", 270 pounds, and he was a professional basketball player before he made the switch to football. We know we like that in our tight ends, kind of a little narrative with tight ends these days. Uh, he just looks like a man among boys out there. It's crazy. Um, as for snap counts, uh, with the exception of week number one, Fells has significantly outsapped Aikens. Uh, he's all the way up to 87% of the snaps last week. And so he's just going to get be on the field more. Thus, he's going to have more opportunities. So I targeted him as my number one waiver pick this week. I picked him up for $15 in one of my leagues, that $100 budget. Uh, that was the league where I lost Disley to an injury, so that stinks. Uh, but I missed out on them in all my other leagues where I didn't have fab money um, just because I'm doing well enough in those leagues that other people with lower, with worse records grabbed him in front of me. So I only grabbed him in one of my leagues. I didn't make offers for him on leagues where I actually have a really solid tight end, so I wasn't interested where I, leagues where I've got like Ertz or Kittles. Uh, I did, Kittle, I didn't feel like I had to make offers for him, except for weeks, uh, except for leagues when I was weak at tight end. Second guy that I'll mention on the waiver wire is Ricky Seals-Jones, or RSJ. RSJ has scored in two of the last few weeks, and um, this week he outsnapped Demetrius Harris for the first time ever, and by a lot. He had 68% of the snaps compared to 28, so it was the first time that he outsnapped him, and it was significant. He uh, it was his highest targeted game also with six targets. He seems to be like a legitimate part of this offense now, playing more of a wide receiver role too, he saw him a lot playing kind of split out as a wideout as well as in the slot more than he really was in line as a true kind of normal tight end that you would think. I still don't think this is the best dynasty move given that Njoku is likely the tight end of the future there. Uh, he's worth more to add and uh, worth an ad to see what happens while Njoku's hurt this year. I picked him up for $9 in one of my tight end premium leagues, but I left him alone in all my other leagues, but did see him picked up in almost every league. Third guy that I'll mention, which I already talked about, is Jordan Aikens, another tight end for uh, Houston. Uh, see the comments, you know, I talked about those comments already as to why, how he compares to Darren Fells. Um, I have Aikens as my number three pick this week, um, but put my money on Fells, like I already mentioned. The only thing that Aikens has in his favor compared to Fells is that he is six years younger. So thinking about it from a dynasty perspective, that is something to consider, uh, which is why I still kept him here as my number three waiver pickup for this week. Number four... I put Josh Oliver. Um, I had, I told you all um, that I uh, add Josh Oliver here uh, because Fells, RSJ, and Aikens were picked up in a lot of leagues last week. Oliver likely was not, even though I recommended last week that you pick him up ahead of Swain just because he has a greater dynasty value. Well, Oliver uh, actually has a chance to play now. Uh, he's still on the entry report, but now that Swain has gone down, he really needs to play in Jacksonville. They need him, so I think that he will actually play this week. It's always a risk picking up a guy that you've never seen play in the NFL snap, but just look at it like you're picking up a rookie, uh, which, of course, is what he is. He is a rookie. Uh, was likely drafted or picked up on the free agency um, 
picked up as a undrafted free agent on, on your leagues and likely was dropped when it came down to cut time. But he's still out there in all, literally all of my leagues. And so I did not make any waiver claims on him, but I'm actually going to reconsider that and look through them and consider making a move on him this weekend before kickoff. So I'm going to be looking into that definitely on Saturday when I kind of do one last pass through my teams. Finally, uh, waiver wire this week, um, I considered Denver and the New York Jets. So the Denver Broncos and New York Jets, DST, Defense and Special Teams. I noticed in several of my leagues, um, I usually just roster two defenses. I noticed in several that they were scoring much better than some of the defenses that I had on my team. And so I did make a few bids on them this week and picked them up in a few leagues. Uh, Denver players are great. Defensive players are great. Um, and their defensive head coach, Fangio, I thought was going to be awesome too. Um, I dropped him, though, in this league because they started so poorly. And I dropped him in a league where I actually owned Denver and was like, man, you guys are way worse than I thought. So I dropped him. But in that same league this week, I actually picked them back up, thinking that they might have the ability to turn it around like they've played the last two weeks. Of course, now I'm actually, instead of recording this at halftime on Thursday night, I'm recording it super early on Friday morning. Now we know that they actually had a dud of a game again. Um, so maybe we, maybe this was a bad ad that I made this week. Denver looked pathetic last night against Kansas City, of course, who makes everyone look bad, generally. Um, but that was without Mahomes for half the game. So I don't know. I'm still going to roster Denver. I think they're better than Tampa Bay, which was the defense that I dropped to pick Denver up. And then for the New York Jets, as for the Jets, uh, Greg Williams, you know, he's always known for dialing up the pressure and creating sacks and turnovers. He's a great defensive head coach, particularly in his first year or two with a team. He tends to kind of sour after that for some reason. Um, I think now, too, part of this is because now that Sam Darnold's back, playing quarterback, I think the defense is not going to be on the field as much, nor will they be playing from short fields after all the turnovers, like was so common at the start of the year when Darnold was out. Um, I picked up the Jets' defense in one league this uh, week, too, this week as well, (laughs) I should say. And so I think that the Broncos and the Jets have a chance to be an improving defense, and I picked them up in a couple leagues. Finally, what we'll do here on the, the podcast, I always like to close by giving a couple week six number trades that happened in my leagues and or if there weren't any trades that happened give you some trades that were offered or rejected or that I offered just give you an idea about some of the ways that I'm thinking about making trades there were only two trades in my league uh, on all my leagues this week though I was offered many trades um, and I offered many trades myself only two went through Uh, here's some of my thoughts on the trades that did happen this week and I'm going to also mention the craziest offer I received but ultimately rejected Trade number one was Damian Williams uh, for Chris Herndon. I traded Damian Williams for Chris Herndon. This was my trade and my offer. Um, It's certainly a bit of a risk, but uh, tight end is my only position of need on this team that I'm really loaded. Uh, I have Nick Chubb and Kerryon Johnson as my running backs, as my lead backs. And at wide receiver, I have Keenan Allen, T.Y. Hilton, Adam Thielen, and Robert Woods as my starting receivers. I did have Will Disley as my starting tight end, but I lost him in the injury. And so that's why I was curious and uh, about trying to make this trade for Herndon. Herndon's my number 14th ranked tight end, so I do have him ranked higher, probably the most uh, analysts do. Um, even though it's certainly been a long time since we've seen him play, at least in a real game, he looked really good in the preseason, looked great at the end of last season. Um, so it's a, a bit of a uh, risk, but I still kept him ranked where I had him. I think that Herndon, in this case, is a better dynasty asset, given that he's only in his second year, whereas Williams is already part of a running back by committee and will likely be replaced at the start of this next year. Uh, now that I can speak from watching the game last night, uh, he didn't play very much at all, just like the previous week, and so that's part of why I was willing to trade him. 
I just feel like his role is already starting to be diminished there in Kansas City. Um, I traded him to the team that has LaShawn McCoy, so I thought that he might be eager to own both running backs in Kansas City. He also has Mark Andrews as his tight end, so I thought that he didn't have any needs there and might be more willing to let Herndon go. What I'm hoping for is that Sam Darnold and Chris Herndon will get back to their chemistry that they had at the end of last season and into the preseason this year. He's uh, off of suspension and uh, missed one week after suspension due to his injury, but he was activated this week after his hamstring industry, uh, injury, and I think that this week he will actually be starting. I don't think I'll insert him right into my starting lineup, but I'm eager to see what he does this week as he plays for the first time, most likely. Second trade that went down this week was John Brown for James Washington. Interesting trade. This was between two teams in my FFPC league. Uh, Definitely the guy on the James Washington side of the deal is having a bad season. And so I guess what he was thinking, that he just wanted to put faith in Washington and he'll become a solid starting wide receiver in the years to come because he's definitely not proved it this year. Whereas John Brown, the older asset at 29 years old, has been very productive in his first year in Buffalo. I think it was more of a win-now move for the team that got Brown, for sure. And I think it was much more than that. Uh, I think it was much more than that, though. I think that he's a better future win uh, trade, too. I have John Brown ranked number 39 in my dynasty rankings, where James Washington's ranked number 68. So this is definitely a win for the John Brown team. I wish I would have been able to make that offer and get John Brown for James Washington. Um, Good for him. Finally, the last trade. This is one that I didn't accept, but I wanted to mention it here on the podcast because it was a pretty crazy trade offer, and it shows the incredible value that Christian McCaffrey has. I was offered to give away. I have Christian McCaffrey and Kelvin Harmon, and I was offered in a trade DeAndre Hopkins, Mark Ingrams, Emmanuel Sanders, Adrian Peterson, and Duke Williams. Crazy, huh? So I ended up rejecting this trade, but I wanted to at least show it here to see let you see how high Christian McCaffrey is being valued. It's crazy. This was an offer in a very unique uh, league. It's my uh, experts league, or it's you know a bunch of podcasters that have a league together. It's super flex. So we're always starting two quarterbacks. It's PPR. It's tight end premium. It uh, doesn't have kickers in defense. You can start two quarterbacks, and basically everyone else is a flex. You have to start one running back and then two wide receivers, but every other position is a flex. And so each week you can start like five or six running backs or five or six receivers, however you want. That's why so many players were offered, I think, in this trade, because it really doesn't matter if you're weak at running back or weak at receiver. As long as you can have at least one of them to start, you can, you can really just kind of fill – your whole team with with receivers or running backs. So Christian McCaffrey in this league is the leading scorer. Isn't that crazy? Above all the quarterbacks in this uh, in this uh, Superflex league, he's the number one scoring player in this league. So this is why it was a really aggressive trade that the, this uh, owner made. From a dynasty standpoint, it really feels like, even though there's so many players involved, it really feels like it was a trade of McCaffrey for Hopkins and Ingram. Those are really the dynasty values in this trade. You know, it's tempted because Hopkins is my number one ranked wide receiver. Even though he's having a rough start to the year, I think he's turning it around this week. Take my take my words. Hopkins turning it around this week. It's happening. So while he's my number one receiver, McCaffrey is actually my number two running back just behind Saqu- Saquon Barkley. So it's like, man, we've got two great assets, and then he's throwing in all these other players. I really considered this trade because of how much I love Hopkins and because the wide receivers in my league are weak even though I only have to start two of them each week since my running backs are strong in this league. I'm starting a lot of running backs over my wide receivers in this uh, kind of high flex league. 
Add to that that Ingram and Sanders could really help me this year, and my team's competitive. I do want to try to win this first year. Uh, but ultimately, I realized that McCaffrey has been the one that's been carrying my team. And so I just wanted to ride it out with him. It's a very fair trade, very aggressive, but that's the kind of value that Christian McCaffrey has right now. It's crazy. Well, that's going to be it for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks.com. That's freaks with two E's. I am much better on email than I am on Twitter, so you can email me at dynastyfreaks with two E's, dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. You know, I have been building this website and podcast for about a year now. I want to develop a year's worth of content uh, so that I could, one, get better through practice, but two, I really wanted to be have some verifiable, contestable content on the site so you can see for yourself whether or not my dynasty takes are generally right or generally wrong. Um, of course, we're all going to hit and miss on many things because it's fantasy football, but I hope that you test me and see that I am your most trustworthy, independent voice in the dynasty landscape. I'd love it if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I did get one more five-star rating, so thank you for whoever did that this last week. But no reviews. I know it's a little harder to figure out how to do reviews right now with Apple Podcasts and the changes that they're making. But if you have the time, I would love it if you would rate and review the podcast. That would be great for me and for what we're trying to do here with the Dynasty Freaks. Well, that's it uh, for this week. Until next week, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.